Our Bible uh, scripture passage will come from the book of Jonah, and it's toward the end of the Old Testament, uh, found on page 1438 in your pew Bibles. That's Jonah 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days in Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a pro proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with his, with his compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. These are the words of the Lord. Father, we're here this morning, and it's been a morning of celebration. It's been a morning of grace. And Lord, now we've heard from your word. And it's a hard message that we hear this morning. And yet it's an amazing message as well. So we pray that these words may sink deep into our hearts and souls and shape us more and more into who you've created us to be. And I pray that the words which we've spoken now, may they be your words and not mine. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah's had quite the journey. Jonah's called to go to Nineveh, the great enemy of Israel. A great city, a violent city, a, a city so violent that, that the cries of the oppressed rose up to God. And even though they weren't God's people, God responds and says, hey, it can't be this way. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Life isn't supposed to be like this. So he sends Jonah, and Jonah says, uh-uh, don't like them, destroy them, great for me, love that. Ain't goes the other way. But God says, hey, wait a minute. I've told you what I need you to do. 
and I still want you to go. So he makes the arrangements, and, and as you heard two weeks ago, he's got thrown overboard, and, and the sea calmed, and he gets swallowed by a fish, and if you're wondering, oh, that can't happen, uh, according to the Smithsonian, respected website, they say the sperm whale, which is found in that area, can swallow whole squids, which is the same size as a human. And off the Falkland Islands in the early 1900s, a man was swallowed by a sperm whale. And when they caught the sperm whale, they cut her open, and he was there, still breathing, still alive. Now, it wasn't three days. It was only a day and a half. But, again, you don't have to, you don't have to kind of discount the story just because of the, the fish part. Because this isn't a story about the fish. This is a story about God, Jonah, and the people of Nineveh. I love how you said, Wayne, to listen to those pricks of the heart when God speaks to us. To say yes, because it saves us a whole lot of stuff. But God doesn't give up on Jonah. And that's the first sign of unexpected grace. When I was in the Naval Reserve, we were working on the ship, and one of the officers, not always completely there in our opinion, gave a really dumb order to one of my shipmates. And he ignored it and walked away. He ended up doing extra duty for a long, long time. There was no second chance. There was no grace. The officer speaks, you obey. God says no. Tell you what, Jonah. I protected you in the great storm. And in the same way, I'll protect you from the great city, from the great evil. But you're going to go. And Jonah says, I guess I don't have a choice. So he heads there. Grace is a huge theme in the Bible. And we see it again and again and again in Jesus' own life. There's a Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well. This is a woman who's had multiple husbands who's, who comes to, to the well in the heat of the day because nobody wants to be around her, can't stand her. She's an outsider. She's no good. She's got this horrible lifestyle. Just kind of ignore her and let her be. Jesus speaks to her. Jesus offers her living water, and she's got no clue what he's talking about. So he explains this Samaritan woman, this outsider, this woman of really bad reputation becomes the first evangelist for Jesus. Jesus accepted her, acknowledged her as a person, didn't look over her sin and her sinful life, acknowledged it, but doesn't give up on her. And she leads the village to Jesus. There are more Samaritans following Jesus at this time as Lord than there are Jewish people. And then there's a woman caught in adultery. 
a woman that should have been stoned, stoned to death. No, you don't want those kind of people around here. You know, we're good, respectable people. Come on, you know, let's just take them outside the city walls and we'll get rid of them. And they had every right to do that. It was in the law. But Jesus kneels down. And he writes in the dust. And you've got no clue what he's writing. But they all wander away. Something that Jesus writes touches their heart. And they finally say yes to that. And when Jesus looks up, there's nobody there. And he turns to the woman and says, is there anyone to condemn you? And she says, nope. She's, he says, I'm not going to condemn you either. And he lifts her up by the hand. And he says, go sin no more. But he sees her as a person, as a child precious to God. And he offers grace. But that's not why Jonah goes. See, grace is powerful. And it can soften the hardest hearts. But at the same time, we can accept grace and still remain stubborn, hard, unchanged people. J.I. Packer writes, God's grace becomes wondrous, endlessly consoling, beautiful and humbling only when we fully believe, grasp, and remind ourselves of all three of these background truths. That we deserve nothing but condemnation that we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves, and that God has saved us despite our sin at infinite cost to himself. Emily, I appreciated your testimony where you touched on that, Reuben as well. See, it's only when we realize what Jesus gave up for us by going to the cross, taking our sin onto that cross, taking the pain and suffering on the world on himself, not because he has to, but because he chooses to, so that we can experience forgiveness, acceptance by our Heavenly Father. We can experience grace. And that's the beginning of the gratitude that is to shape our lives. That is to... to to cause us to go in the world, to be grace wherever God places us. But Jonah makes his way to Nineveh, and, and it takes three days to go through it. He goes into the city about a day's journey and preaches his message. Forty more days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And, and I'm guessing here, knowing how much Jonah loves the Ninevites, that he's actually kind of happy about giving this message. He's enjoying bringing doom to Israel's enemies rather than grace. And yet, as we'll see next week as we look at chapter 4, we'll see that Jonah does know that God is a compassionate, gracious God. And that there's always the chance that things are not going to turn out the way he wants them to. And then the unexpected happens. Think about it. Nineveh is the capital city of one of the greatest empires of that time. 
And they've been depending on their own gods to control their empire. And now this prophet from this miserable little country quite a ways away comes and says, you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. And they listen. Why would they listen to somebody coming from Israel of all places? But that's where you see God working. Because the people hear. And they go, wow. There is something really wrong with us. That this God from another place sends a prophet to tell us just how miserable and evil and rotten we are. And they bow themselves before God. They humble themselves. The king gets off his throne. He takes off his fancy robes and puts on itchy, scratchy sackcloth. He sits in the dust. He humbles himself, makes himself small before God. And this is the proclamation he issues in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we'll not perish. Now remember, this story is being told in Israel as well. It's being told to a people who keep walking away from God. And God intends this story to be a slap in their faces. You see these pagans, these violent, evil people, they turn to me, and you don't. I can just imagine the people squirming in their pews. Oh, they didn't have pews but squirming as they were standing, hearing this story being told. Nineveh's only hope is that God will show mercy, that he'll show grace. And that's our only hope as well. I don't think any of you have killed anyone. I don't think any of you have oppressed anyone to the point that they've cried out in desperation to God, but we all sinned. And we sin every day. And in our own strength, there's no way we can make things right with God. We depend on God's grace found in Jesus who came to take our sin on himself, to pay the price for our disobedience on that Christ cross. And he rose again from the grave so that we could be reassured that we will have new life as well. And we can begin to experience that new life right now. That we might show the world who Jesus is through our words and lives. You see, God's seeking change. He's seeking justice in Nineveh. He's seeking justice in Israel as well. He's calling for the people to end and change their violent and unjust ways. You see, God desires societies and cultures to promote justice and righteousness. 
We're called to create communities where, where women and men, youth and children, are able to flourish, discover their gifts, and then be encouraged to use these gifts to help make the community a better place, a stronger place, a healthier place for everyone. Time and again, God sends prophets to call his people to take care of the orphans, the widows, the foreigner among them, to protect the helpless and be generous and gracious to them. See, God's not looking for us to say these right words or do the correct rituals in order to be saved. He's calling us to the right life, the right heart. Isaiah 58 talks about fasting. Because the king called the people to fast. But this is what God says. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? In the profession of faith classes, we looked at a series of videos called For the Life of the World. And in those videos, we looked at different segments, different parts of life, and how our faith helps us to, to enter these parts of our life, how, how it shapes us in these parts of our lives. But, but at the heart of all these videos is that, that we're given faith as a gift, not for ourselves, but so that we can be a gift to the rest of the world. I said two weeks ago, a private faith is useless. We're called to be public in our faith. We're called to be public in calling our, our, our culture and be a presence of grace, a presence where, where we say, this is how God calls us to live. It doesn't mean we go to the governments and tell them to change laws, but we live in such a way that the world looks at us and says, wait a minute, why can't we all be like this? What do they have that makes them live this way? For the good of everyone, not just themselves. We're called to bring harmony, another theme in those videos, a harmony that sings with God's voice into all corners of our world, shaping our world so that it looks like Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the people of Nineveh join their king in repenting and turning from their evil ways. The question then becomes, how is God going to respond? Well, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God shows Israel's enemy, his people's greatest enemy, grace and mercy. And this is a grace that's offered to you, to everyone who believes in Jesus who trusts in him alone for their salvation, and who desire to live in obedience to Jesus, willing to be transformed by Jesus through his grace. I've worked with so many people who believe that Jesus can't forgive them because they look at their past and they say, you know what, I'm so messed up. 
My sin is way too horrible for, for, for Jesus to ever forgive me. They believe this because of the guilt that they feel and because they can't forgive themselves. But you see, God doesn't look at us through our guilt. He doesn't look at us through our eyes. He looks at us through the eyes of Jesus, the one who makes us right with God our Father, who takes our sins so that we can experience new life. And this is grace, unexpected grace. And as we'll see next week, this is a grace that Jonah can't understand. And it's a grace he doesn't want to see. It's a grace that seems too much to offer the enemies of God's people. To offer people who are different than him. You see, it's a grace that is simply gift. Pure gift pure God. Amen. Father, thank you for your grace. A grace we don't deserve, a grace we don't earn. And Lord, for those here this morning that don't believe they deserve your grace, that are having trouble accepting your grace. I pray that you'll soften their hearts, that they may experience how much you love them. And Lord, for all of us, may we be a gift of grace wherever you place us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.